Today, we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. So if you're visiting us for the first time or a couple times in, this is not normal, but we are in the thick of this message series on the book of Revelation, this book that scares a lot of people, it intimidates a lot of people, and it is the source of a lot of Christian conspiracy I've come to find which is a sad reputation for this book, because this book should be a book of hope, of deliverance for God's people. But it's not going to be that kind of book today, at least not initially. You see, today it's going to be a dark day that grows brighter as we move through our worship this morning, but it begins in darkness, because today we're going to be talking about a stampede. Now, many of you are familiar with what a stampede is. This usually happens when herd animals are spooked. Think of cattle, think of horses, think of wildebeest, and they can be spooked by nearly nothing. Uh, Somebody lighting a match or a tumbleweed moving by, and if one or two animals begin running, they all begin running and destroy everything in their path. One of the most famous stampedes we have comes from a Disney animated film. Does anybody know which one I'm referring to? Lion King, that's right. When Simba makes his way down to a ravine and Mufasa, his father, comes to rescue him and dies under the hooves of hundreds of wildebeest. Now, obviously, that's a cartoon. That's not real, but we know that stampedes are very real things. They are a destructive force, an avalanche of meat that destroys everything in their path. Here's what I've come to find out about stampedes. Nothing survives in the wake of a stampede. And today, in Revelation chapter 6, we are going to talk about the worst stampede that humans will ever experience. It is the stampede of four horses that will bring about what the Bible refers to as the tribulation. Some people refer to it as the tribulation period. This is a time in history that hasn't yet happened. And that word tribulation, it's one of those Christianese words. We don't use it very often, and we're going to break it down here in a moment. But for now, just think of tribulation as a time of great suffering. So four horses are going to bring in this time of great suffering. We're spending time in Revelation looking at this vision that the follower of Jesus, John, is given. He's able to see things in the heavenly realm that mere humans don't get to see on a regular basis. He's able to see things on earth, the future earth, that will come to pass. And what he sees, one of the few things he sees, or many things he sees, is a stampede of four horses that bring about the four cataclysmic judgments that will come upon the world. They're often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what they're referred to. Now, I want to just give a disclaimer here at the beginning. These are symbols to something beyond themselves, as most things in Revelation are. So today, we're going to break down what are these symbolizing? But if 
you are John and you're watching this happen, it is a wild and dramatic scene happening in front of him. I mean, this is a stampede of horses you, no one has ever seen before. Well, the white one's not that impressive. We've all seen a white horse, but a fiery red horse is second. And then this ominous black horse and then this pale green horse. How many of you are watching uh, Yellowstone or 1883, 1923, any other dates that have? Anybody watching those shows right now? A couple people? Okay, it's okay. You can admit it. Horses. Horses, cowboys. Anybody bought a cowboy hat yet because you're watching it and you're really into it? Uh, a couple of people raised their hands. I wasn't expecting to get a response on that one. Um, yeah, so what I'm imagining is like, it's like John, when he's having this vision, would be like watching Yellowstone on some like major drug like LSD or something. Like this is a wild, dramatic scene playing out before John, and it's revealing something to him. You see, Revelation chapter 6, it actually serves a purpose beyond its own details. Revelation chapter 6 is a summary of what's going to come in subsequent chapters leading up to chapter 19. So chap from here on is what's called the tellings of the tribulation period. Chapter 6 is telling us an overview of what is about to happen, of the things that John is about to witness. Now before chapter 6, we're in chapter 5. Now Tracy preached about this. It's a vision that John has. He is in the throne room of God. He sees God sitting on his throne holding a scroll. Now, a scroll is just like an ancient book. It's how they wrote, held their documents. They would unravel them and then read. This one's printed on front and back. But this one is rolled up at the moment. It's in God's hand. He's extending it out, and it has seven seals keeping it closed. These would have been wax seals. That's how they closed these documents. They burnt wax, stamped it, and then that kept you from knowing it hasn't been opened yet, still sealed. This one has seven seals. Seven is a symbolic number in the Hebrew um, culture. It means complete. Think of the seven days of creation. It's the completion of something. So this scroll is the completion of something. And only one person can read that scroll, is worthy enough to read it, and that is the Lamb, which is a symbol to Jesus the one who would sacrifice his own life for the life of somebody else, in this case, us. So Jesus, in our text, is going to begin cracking open those seven seals, and on the first four cracks come these horses. And this isn't just a tribulation period, this is the tribulation period period. This isn't just a moment in time. This is the pinnacle moment in time. And what Jesus reveals in this scroll to us is the devastation of the entire earth. And there's no other way I can put it. This is the moment that human have yet to experience, but will come to one day. Did you know the top three subjects written about in the Bible? Do you know what those are? The, the top three things, Old Testament and New Testament combined, talked about, these are referenced the most, they come up the most. Number one, salvation. That's the number one thing talked about in all of the Bible. Number two, it's the second coming of Jesus. Pretty cool that those are the leading ones. Like, we, we like both of those ones. Number three, 
You guessed it, the tribulation. The third most talked about thing in the Bible, and yet, many of you in this room, you probably have never heard a sermon preached on the tribulation. You probably have never used that word outside of this context. You may have had no idea what this period was up until this point, because many of us, we shy away from it, but this moment is a lot closer than we might realize, and I'll tell you why. I googled, though, before we get there, I googled the worst times in human history, and I got a list of things, a list of uh, events, and you know, and you're familiar with most of them, World War I, World War II, the Holocaust, the Black Plague of the European countries, you have uh, the transatlantic slave trade, you have the bombs that destroyed Hiroshima, and if I'm reading my Bible correctly, all of those events will be pale in comparison to this time period that we're waiting for, for this tribulation period. So what, what is coming? That's the question we want to answer. What is Revelation chapter 6 trying to warn us about? What are the signs that we're waiting for, and how is it even relevant to who we and what we are today? So without further ado, Let's dive in. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, I watched when the Lamb, that's Jesus, when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. I want to introduce to you the first rider, the first horse, and that is the white horse, and I'm calling him of deception. Deception. Now, this is interesting. How many of you are into westerns or used to watch westerns a lot? Raise your hand. Great. I'm not into westerns. I, I, I can appreciate them, but I don't know much about them. Here is one thing I do know about westerns, is that when the guy on the white horse comes riding into town, that's usually the hero, right? That's the good guy. Usually the town's in an upheaval, it's on fire, someone's in distress, and here comes the guy on the white horse, and he's going to save the day. And you might have that same assumption here. Here comes a guy on a white horse, he's going to conquer, he's going to eliminate evil, but... I want you to just pin that thought up for just a moment, and I want to introduce a new thought to you. If I wanted to give you a counterfeit $20 bill, don't you think I would want it to look as close to the originals as I could? Yeah, if I wanted to fake you out, I wouldn't give you a $20 bill with Tracy's face on it, like, hey, I want, to do, I want to give you a $20 bill with Joe Biden's face on it. I would want Andrew Jackson, front and center, bold and clear. I want you to think that dollar bill, that $20 bill, is as real as it possibly could be. That's the whole point of a counterfeit. And this first rider is as much of a counterfeit, such a good counterfeit, that people today and people then will be deceived on who he actually is. Many people have believed that this rider on the white horse is none other than Jesus himself. He's coming in to conquer and defeat. And it's true, we will get Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 riding in on a white horse. 
But Jesus comes at that that moment, at the end of the tribulation period, to eliminate the devastation and the carnage. This writer in Revelation chapter 6 is bringing in that devastation and that carnage. Not fully convinced? Revelation chapter 19, Jesus also has a crown on his head. The Greek word for that crown is the word diadematta. It's literally a crown of permanence of to, given to the sovereign. Think of like Queen Elizabeth is given that crown, and she is always wearing that crown, even though she doesn't have something physical on her head. Used to, sorry, forgot. Physical on her head, right? She, it's a sovereign, it's an everlasting crown for her. The writer in Revelation chapter 6, he has a crown. The Greek word for his crown is the word stephanos. Stephanos, it's a temporary crown made out of laurel, which is olive branches twisted together, you know, like they would give somebody in the victor games for winning. It's a, it is a crown, it has prominence and importance, but it eventually will fade away and die. This white rider is an imitator of Christ in peace. He is a man with a bow, but no arrows, which may seem like a posture of peace, but I would dare say it is a far more stealthy kind of dominance. He is the master negotiator who will be able to move into people's lives because they think he is bringing about peace, but really he is bringing about destruction. You know, in just about half a century ago, this very thing happened in Europe. A guy came on the scene. He was rising to power. He brought about this message of peace, and his name was Adolf Hitler. And do you want to know that whenever he rose to power, the Western allies, specifically the French and the British, they thought he was the hero. They thought Hitler was the man of peace who would actually solve all of the world's problems. At the time, uh, the prime minister of Great Britain, the Vell Chamberlain, he actually went to Munich and met the Fuhrer, signed a peace treaty with him, came back to his state and was waving this piece of paper that literally had written on it, peace with honor, peace for our times. Nobody could see through the mask of Hitler except one person, Winston Churchill. But by the time the world figured out who he actually was, what he actually wanted, we were already plunged into World War II. A white horse, this white horse rider is no hero. He's going to be masked as our savior, but he's only going to come to destroy. And he doesn't come alone. No, he's not bringing in a a peace parade. He's bringing in a stampede. And following behind this level of deception will come a second horse, a red horse. Let's read about that horse. And starting in verse 3 of Revelation 6, when he opened, when Jesus opened the second scroll, I heard a second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, this one bright red. Its rider, look at this, was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. So whoever this first cowboy was on the white horse who brings peace, it doesn't last. It actually ends in devastation. 
right? And in this vision, John then sees this fiery red horse come in. And if you know your Bible or you're familiar with it, you know that red is often associated to terrorism and carnage. Revelation chapter 12, we're going to be introduced to a red dragon. Revelation chapter 17, we're going to be introduced to a red beast. Here in chapter 6, we have a red horse. So Adolf Hitler, he promised peace. He plunged the nation into war. This anti-Jesus figure, often referred to as the Antichrist, who whatever, whoever, however it's manifested, it will bring about peace, which will then bring about war. The first rider was a bowman with no arrows. That bow is laid down, and instead he picks up a sword, and peace now vanishes from the earth, and we have the red horse of war. Now, here's the crazy thing. Jesus predicted this sequence of events happening. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking with some of his disciples who are curious about the end of time, the end of days, about when Jesus comes again, and they're asking, what sign should we be looking for? What are we looking for? What, what should we, our eyes be locked in on? And he says this, take heed that nobody deceives you. Somebody is going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war, nations against nation, kingdoms will rise against kingdoms. You see the same sequence. However, with whoever, whenever it happens, it seems to have a pattern. Now, I can already kind of hear you saying, okay, come on, Peyton. We have had wars since the beginning of humankind. So you're saying that I am waiting for a war. Are you saying like we're in the tribulation period because there's already wars everywhere? What are you saying? And I'm, I'm saying that we're not. The war we're about to experience or we will experience will be a war like no other. But you are right. Ever since humans have been human, we have found ways to kill each other. It started with our hands, it moved to sticks and stones, and then it moved to bullets and bombs. We had politicians come on and come off, promising us peace, and then moving us further and further into the cycle of bloodshed. I wanted to look this up, just to, y'all know how much I love statistics. According to the Norwegian Academy of Science, they did a study on human war. Here's what they found. Since 3600 B.C., to today. So just kind of think of a chronological timeline. You have 3600 BC, we'll just kind of say, you know, since civilizations began to today. We have had, as a human race, about 14,531 wars. We've experienced about 292 years of peace. That's it. Of all of those years, since 3600 BC, 292 of them have been of what you could consider peace. Let me do the simple math for you. That's approximately 2.6 wars a year. That's one year of peace out of every two decades. That is about 36 hours of peace per month. That's about one minute of peace per hour for four hours. 
Now, all my parents understand that one the most. <laughs> You're like, just give me one minute apiece, please. That's all I ask in all the four hours. One minute, not one second. If I said second, one minute of peace every four hours. That's a lot of war. And it will look like a drop in the bucket compared to what we will experience on Armageddon. That will come at some point. We don't know when, but it will come. And here is why this is so relevant today. Right? You're like, okay, war and the end of times and the biggest war, but like, how does that apply to me today? I want to tell you why it's even more relevant than it was in 1100 AD, why it's more relevant than it was 100 years ago. Here's why this is important for us to grapple with today. Today, this day and age, on this earth, we have the capability to destroy our entire planet in one hour. We have that capability today to destroy everything, the planet itself, in one hour. How do I know that? In July 1945, New Mexico, a test bomb went off on purpose. They were testing the very first time a weapon of mass destruction was tested. They analyzed it, they photographed it, they took pictures, they studied it. The atomic bomb, more power than humankind has ever wielded in its hand before. Three weeks later, President Truman used a similar bomb to flatten the city of Hiroshima. That was then. Today, according to the Center of Defense Information, the USA has an arsenal of somewhere around 5,000 arsenal, or an arsenal of 5,000 nuclear missiles. Each of those 5,000 missiles are 35,000 times stronger than the bomb that flattened Hiroshima. There are about nine nations in the world that are documented that have their own arsenal of missiles. A man of peace comes with a bow and no arrows. The bow is laid down, a sword is taken up, and warfare will ensue, a warfare we have never imagined before. And now, that's far more reasonable for us to imagine. I'm not claiming how and what capacity that it will even happen this way. This isn't about conspiracy, it's about rationality. This is far more rational to imagine a war that destroys the world. What a vision, what a stampede that John is envisioning of deception on the white horse, of war with the fiery red horse, but we're only halfway through. Next in our opening is a black horse. Let's keep reading in verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A denarius, a, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So, this third rider on the black horse, he's carrying a pair of scales. Think of like a weighing measurement, a weighing instrument used for measuring, used for uh, rationing out, right? This is a depiction of famine which is a natural consequence of war whenever you really think about it, right? Where there is war, famine is soon to follow. Food supplies are destroyed. Food that they do have is rationed out to the soldiers 
so that they can keep fighting and defending the country or the war. Transportation is hit pretty hard, so it's hard to get food into them. Let me ask, how many of you have ever been hungry before? Raise your hand. Have you ever been hungry before? Okay, great, thank you. You can put your hand down, that's great. Yeah, uh, I saw some hesitation in some of y'all's eyes, uh, and that's okay, because you're comparing the hunger that you've had to the hunger that I'm referring to here. Whenever I say hungry from here on out, I'm not referring to like, I missed breakfast this morning and my stomach is grumbling in the office. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to wither away. Look at me. I have to wait till like 6.30 tonight to eat dinner. Like I'm out on the golf course and I'm sweaty and it's, I'm just hungry. I'm going to eat. It's not the hunger I'm referring to. And the likelihood is, I'm guessing, nobody in this room, I'm guessing, has ever been truly hungry. But there's a lot of people in the world who are right now. Did you know this day and age, there are 800 million people who are diagnosed and classified as chronically malnourished. Malnourished mean they, don't, they aren't given enough food to maintain a healthy lifestyle. 800 million people. That's one out of every nine people. That would be, give or take, about 15 people in this very room. Go to bed hungry. Wake up hungry. Go to work hungry and go back to sleep hungry. Did you know more people die from malnutrition than they do AIDS, TB, and malaria put together? And that's today. What will it be like then when this time comes? What are we going to face? Well, we get an idea in verse 6. Maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. A quart of wheat for a denarius. According to the Greek historian Hernatius, uh, a quart of wheat was the bare minimum ration given to soldiers. It was like just what you needed to keep doing your regular work, right? And a denarius was the daily wage of a common worker. So you put those two together, you will work all day for the food that you need to work all day for the food that you need to work all day, for the food, and you just are in the cycle. There is no surplus, there is no adding, there's no saving, there is just working and eating. And as if that's not bad enough, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Barley was such a low nutritional value, it's saved for animals, not humans. And so you will be working all day for a food that won't fully nourish you. This third rider embodies greed and injustice leading to famine and hunger, and there's still one horse left. Let's read verse 7, the last horse. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale, that's the Greek word chloris, it's where we get the word chlorine from, which is why you can assume this is a pale green horse like chlorine would be. A pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast of 
the earth. I'm not going to spend much time. This is pretty straightforward. This rider isn't alone. Somebody rides with him. Death rides with hell like two notorious outlaws riding into town like Bonnie and Clyde. They're here to destroy. And this stampede has the capability of wiping out a quarter of the human population. If this was to happen today, just doing the math of today, if the tribulation period was to kick off today, there are about 7.4 billion people on planet Earth right now. About 1.86 billion of them would immediately be destroyed. Like Thanos snapping his finger, they would just be eliminated immediately. To give you a hook of what that means, 1.86 billion people gone, there are about 1.4 billion people in China right now. So all of China plus some would just be gone immediately. And when it comes to these, uh, these wild beasts, I always imagine when I read it, like these creatures coming up from the ground and like swallowing us and eating us like some mythological story. But I have something far more devastating in mind. A creature, one of the most deadliest creatures in all humankind, is more responsible for killing more humans than maybe even mosquitoes, which mosquitoes are pretty bad. And that is the rat. They thrive in populated areas, they're prolific, they're responsible for millions of deaths in human history. In fact, ironically, during the Pubonic Plague, they were responsible for spreading that plague to the most amount of people, killing about a quarter of Europeans at that time. So it is possible. So, welcome to the Vero Beach Church of Christ. <laughs> You might be wondering, like, that's the entirety of the sermon? Like, that's what we're doing today. Really? Like, that's it? And it may seem odd to you that this is what we're talking about, but here's what I need you to know. Let's, let's bring this back down to us. Here's what I need you to know. This stuff that we're talking about, it's real. This stuff is real. And it's not far-fetched from what we have already seen in human history, is it? I mean, these things that we're reading about, they are not a far cry from where we have been and where we are potentially going. This is going to happen in some capacity. It's going to happen just like all the other prophecies that have come to some kind of fulfillment, including the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus our Savior. This too will happen. And I think you have enough moxie, you have enough understanding of what's going on in the world around us to know the possibility of these things happening as soon as today, as soon as tomorrow, as soon as next week. We don't know. So I want to welcome you to church, yes, but I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. You see, I told you at the beginning that we care about you knowing Jesus, about seeking him, finding him, knowing him. We've spent a lot of time this morning talking about what the anti-Jesus will produce in the world. So what I want to introduce you to is what Jesus can produce in the world, what he can produce in your life. You see, the Antichrist is nothing more than a decisive false politician. He brings about lies and destructions. Everything that he is, Jesus Christ does not. Everything that Jesus Christ is, this anti-Jesus is not. 
The Antichrist promises peace, but he brings about war. Jesus promises peace, and then he gives his own life to make it happen. The Antichrist brings about famine. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. The Antichrist gives the world everything that it wants. Jesus provides everything that the world actually needs. And you need him. You need him. So here is my goal today is I want you to feel like you can actually break free from the things that are holding you back from a relationship with Jesus. Because believe it or not, despite what you have heard, despite what people have told you, you can be found in Jesus's grace today. You can be found in the glory of heaven today. That is the gospel, and we preach the gospel because the world needs the gospel. You need the gospel. And it's true, while Revelation chapter 6, it is a ultimate tribulation, it's the pinnacle moment when evil attacks, you face a stampede nearly, nearly every single day of your life. When COVID-19 was running rampant, and you were scared for your safety, for the safety of your kids, for the safety of your friends. Everybody was bickering about masks and vaccines, and all you wanted to do was keep breath in your lungs. There was a stampede in your life. When the divorce was finalized, you could no longer see the kids whenever you wanted, and you came home to an empty, quiet house for the first time. A stampede. When you graduated college, you started floating around, unsure what you wanted to do with your life. You weren't dating anybody, your student loans needed to be paid off, you were living with your parents or working at your parents' place, you weren't using your degree, you felt pathetic, you felt useless, you felt purposeless, a stampede in your life. When your body began to shut down, when you stopped being able to move the same way you used to be able to move, it now hurts to sleep, it hurts to eat, it hurts to wake up. The end of the tunnel is in view. You can see it, and you're wondering to yourself, have I done enough? Have I had enough faith? And you're scared. There's a stampede. And the deafening sound of hooves behind us remind us that we don't have to wait until the pinnacle of evil to feel its sting today. Today, you feel it. Later this week, you're going to feel it. In this season of your life, you're going to feel it. And so we're beginning this morning's worship this way, because today I want to remind every single one of us why we come to this building every single day, at the same time, with the same people. It's not to punch our card. It's not to see familiar faces. It's not to sing songs that we love. It's not even to study the Bible. We come to this building every week to worship because we're being pummeled by the stampede uh, that the world has provided for us. And we come in here with broken backs and bruised up eyes and we walk back into the throne room of God and we come here to lift up his name and praise because no matter how strong evil is, God is stronger. It doesn't matter how devastating the Antichrist hits the world, Jesus saves the world in the end. We already know how the ending is written, right? We come here every week to remind ourselves that Jesus is already on the throne. He's already written the end of your story. 
So whenever you're bruised up eyes and you're bleeding scalp and you walk into this room because you've been stampeded over, Jesus looks at you in the eye and he says, come to me, all who are wearied and heavy burdened, and I, I will give you rest. So right now, in our worship, at this time, it feels like the night of the crucifixion. Darkness covers the earth. It covers this room like a weighted blanket. It's cold. It's desolate. It's scary. But for the remainder of worship this morning, we are going to warm this place back up. We are going to see the light burst through the, the overcovering clouds. We are going to see Jesus sitting back on his throne. Let's go ahead and stand together real quick. What's this message of the seven seals and their horsemen? What's this really about? You see, as seal one was broken, we discover that if we resist the way of the Lamb, it brings about greater and greater urges to conquer. As seal two was broken, we discover that if we resist the way of the Lamb, there is a greater and greater urge for war and conflict. As seal four was broken, we discover that if we resist the way of the Lamb, there is a greater and greater urge of famine and injustice. And as seal four was broken, we discover that if we resist the way of the Lamb, there is greater and greater sickness and death. And our disciples of Jesus, are we spared from all of this? Absolutely not. I wish I could say that we were, but the way of the Lamb demands that we give everything that we have, even our own life, for the way of the Lamb. But we have come this far by faith. We're about to sing that song together. That song is about to have new meaning in your life. We have come this far by faith in the way of the Lamb. The struggle and all, it is worth it. A time is coming when evil will be judged, it will be destroyed, it will be conquered, it will be defeated. The whole world is going to rejoice when that day comes, when that judgment day takes place. But until then, until then, we gather in this room every week with familiar faces, with worn out backs, with anxious filled minds to worship the God who is on the throne.